another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. And we are back in the rhythm of the season now after a bye week. Uh, Miami now begins ACC play with North Carolina first on deck at Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, ESPN 2, 4 o'clock. Be there. Uh, Team needs your support this week as they are trying to get back on track after that disgusting loss to Middle Tennessee State. Uh, But we are here this podcast, this first half of the podcast, we're going to discuss recruiting because the bye week is an important time for the staff to go out on the road, see some guys, maybe even expand the recruiting board a little bit after, uh, you know, taking a step back and devoting more of a big picture look to how things are looking in recruiting. And so that's what my man Gabby here is going to set the table for uh, with some quick hitter recruiting talk. And Gabby, I think the position that probably matters most right now for Miami in terms of recruiting in this cycle is wide receiver. And there are plenty of developments there. Let's start with uh, four-star top 100 wide receiver Malachi Coleman out of Lincoln, Nebraska. 6'5", 205, has very good track times. He was expected to take an official visit to Miami. That trip is not, he was going to take it this week. That trip is now off. How can you best explain the situation there? Yeah, um, I feel like it's a situation that just kind of happened fast. Uh, I mean, I know I, at least our subscribers here at 24-7, I mean, that was a name that I threw out there as soon as uh, as Tyler Williams committed to, to Georgia. I believe it was last Monday. Um, so, I mean, a- again, I, I feel like it was just one of those things where this was kind of someone that they're evaluating. It quickly kind of turned into an official visit. And really, I just think Miami kind of hit the pause button and they're like, Okay, uh, you know, we've never really seen this kid before in person. They didn't get a chance to evaluate him in the spring or, you know, be able to go see him, you know, in Nebraska last week when they sent all their coaches out. Um, You know, I think that they're still in the early portions of the the relationship development process. So I think that they just wanted to kind of just, you know, maybe take a step back and be like, okay, maybe let's kind of work on a relationship a little bit more. And then maybe later at a later point, uh, you know, we can kind of go back to that official visit so um, not so much of a cancellation as to more of a maybe a rescheduling is probably a better way to put it but um, you know I do think that it's someone that they could potentially be interested in but um, I I I do think that there are maybe some other names that receiver that um, you know that they kind of like right now and that uh, you know they maybe feel are more natural uh, ball catchers and, and things like that Malachi Coleman I think is undoubtedly a freak athlete um, I think there are a lot of questions in terms of what position is he going to play? Um, you know, that six foot five, 205 pound range, something yeah, he could be a pass rusher. Um, I think Oklahoma wanted him to play tight end before they decided they just wanted to go a different direction and maybe get a little bit older at the position. Uh, Miami was thinking wide receiver. I think Nebraska might be thinking the same, but there's just a kind of a lot going on in this recruitment. So I think Miami's just kind of, you know, evaluating all their options and seeing what direction they want to go in. So tell us about a local guy at receiver that Miami's kind of pivoting to and exploring more. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there is legit. I mean, I feel like those that, again, that have been on the site have read about Micah Mays. He's from Palm Beach, Benjamin. He's a Wake Forest commit. He's someone that I feel like I've been writing, talking about for for a while now when it comes to to the receivers. And I really think that there is just there's some legitimate interest uh, coming out of Miami with Micah Mays. Um, I believe that. You know, they've been able to evaluate him in, in some ways. I'm not sure if they've watched him in a game setting, but I know that they have, you know, watched the film. I, I believe that they like the film. Um, I, I think some might be kicking themselves that maybe they didn't get around to Mays sooner um, and maybe maybe just, you know, get eyes on him during the spring when he was uncommitted and things like that. So, um, you know, I do think that that's a direction that they could potentially go in. I don't believe Mays has an offer right now. But I wouldn't be surprised if by the time Miami kicked off against North Carolina on Saturday that Mays did have an offer from Miami. Um, I, I'm not cer- I'm not 100 certain that that will be the case. But uh, you know, the freshest intel I have on that situation is that is that things are trending towards Mays picking up an offer. And I think once that happens, I think it's it's gonna it's gonna ramp up pretty quickly. So um, you know, I'm looking forward to that. I do think he's someone that can that can help Miami and has a lot of characteristics and, and traits that. Uh, you know, I think can that I think are going to translate well to to the collegiate level. I think you also have to consider who he's committed to. That's Wake Forest. Um, you turn on the tape, but for those that watched Miami, uh, that watched Wake Forest, Florida State, the way those receivers performed, those that watched Wake Forest, Clemson last, uh, you know, two weekends ago, the way those receivers performed, I mean, they definitely know how to identify talent and get the most out of their guys. So if Wake Forest says that they're on board, I think that makes me kind of look twice at him and say, hey, you know what? What am I missing here? And I think Miami's. You know, maybe a little bit late to the party, but um, I do think that there's a window here where they could potentially, you know, give the, you know, the Demon Deacons a, a run for their money for someone that really should probably shouldn't leave the state. Yeah, he's a guy that 6'2", 175, I still think he's a developmental guy. But like you're saying, he does have the traits. I think he has pretty good ball skills. Yeah. He runs good track times. He has the mentality you want. He's a sharp guy. A uh, good student and all that stuff. So, I would be a fan of Miami going all in on Micah Mays. Let me ask you this: Is there anyone else big time like trying to flip them, like any major schools that you know? Of? I think I I know um, Andrew Ivins. He he mentioned a couple schools. I know he mentioned Virginia Tech. Um, I'm not sure if he mentioned Florida State, but I know Florida State and Ole Miss both got a chance to kind of watch him at an FIU camp. Um, over, I guess it was over the summer. Uh, so I think maybe, I mean, I think those are always two schools to watch. Um, I'm not sure exactly who else. I think he, maybe it was NC state that he kind of quietly got to. Um, so I, I know that there are others kind of poking around here and uh, I do think that he is, well, I think, I do think he is evaluating his options. I think he kind of pulled away from, I think he's kind of pulling away from like the public, the, the publicity of the recruiting process. I think right. when all that stuff got out, he kind of dug back up into his hole and it was just like, all right, anything I need to do, I need to do it quietly, which I respect, Um, you know, and obviously, you know, going to respect all that type of stuff with him. But right. I do think that he is listening to some other programs and fielding some other options and kind of, you know, testing the waters out there to see what other, what, what, what else he potentially has. And that's why I do think, uh, you know, if Miami were to move forward with that, uh, I do think that they would get, a, you know, some careful consideration from him, considering how close it is to home and all that. And then there is another wide receiver target emerging from the state of California. Tell us who that is and what the deal is there. 
Yeah, it's Tayshawn Lyons. And, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty intrigued. I think, you know, he's he's just over uh, 11. I think he's like 11-1 in the 100 meter. Um, he's a big kid. I think, you know, six two and a half. I think floating probably around like the 170-pound range. But he's got some speed. He's got some size. And I think that's something that Miami obviously values. Uh, kind of chatting with him and talking to him. Uh, it sounds like Frank Ponce made his way out west. Uh, he's about 45 minutes from Jaden Rashada. Um, them two are pretty cool. He told me they they were speaking a couple weeks ago. He was kind of telling Rashada that's a school that you know I'd be interested in. Uh, obviously Miami offered, and then him and Rashada and Jaden Rashada were trading messages and stuff like that. So I do think Miami's going to get a legitimate look from uh, from uh, from Tayshawn Lyons. Uh, I think right now Washington and Notre Dame are the two schools that have just done the best job recruiting him. I do think he's going to give Miami that look and see if Miami can offer him something that maybe those two can't. I think that the way he worded it was just, can they, can they do something better for me? Like, can, can they, can they bring something better for me than those two schools? Cause it feels like those are the two that he's maybe focused on the most right now. So um, he, I think he already took an official visit to Washington. I think he already took an official visit to Notre Dame. So the fact that he's still open and uh, you know, it looks like he's going to get down to Miami for the Duke game on October 22nd. Uh, if the, he kind of moves forward with that, I do think that Miami's going to have a shot, especially him knowing Rashada and, uh, you know, kind of having another NorCal uh, kid from, you know, his area already kind of going to Miami. I think that's something that could potentially help them. All right. And defensive line, there's there's plenty of names to discuss. Let's stick with the interior. Uh, Miami is kind of making a run at a North Carolina commit in Josh Horton, who is big frame guy, 6'5", 290. He is from Langston Hughes High School in Fairburn, Georgia. Three-star prospect, um, but one of those big-bodied pluggers in the middle of the line of scrimmage. What do we need to know about this situation? Yeah, I mean, definitely someone that Miami's evaluating. And, uh, you know, it sounds like Auburn's doing a really good job uh, with that, too. I believe Joe Salavea got up to his school on Friday night to to watch him play. Uh, I think that that's a, a route that they're that they're definitely exploring. And, you know, I was just kind of trading messages with Horton. We, 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 we haven't been able to connect and find a time to, you know, get on a call and, and really talk about it. But it does sound like the Miami offer makes an impact on that recruitment. Again, he is committed to North Carolina, but he spent a few weekends um, in the plains, you know, watching Auburn play. So, um, it's, I think you got to kind of watch out for the Tigers there. I, I think Miami's a school working their way in there. And then obviously, uh, North Carolina. So, uh, obviously that's who Miami plays on Saturday. Maybe a win could help them maybe, you know, kind of, you know, you know, find a little bit more footing in that recruitment. I do like what you mentioned. Uh, I mean, the senior, the, the mid season cut, uh, of his senior tape, uh, I think it's pretty impressive. He seems like he can get off the ball and kind of, you know, get into the backfield. So um, I think you kind of bet on the size and, uh, you know, what he kind of puts on film. So I I'm pretty intrigued by Joshua Horton. And uh, yeah, I think it's definitely a recruitment that Miami fans are going to kind of want to monitor. And there's a Juco guy now kind of emerging. Yeah. Uh, Quinn Trail, Jamison Travis out of Iowa Western Community College, 64280. What's the story there? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, again, I think they're just kind of, you know, dotting their I's, crossing their T's. I think that's, I mean, he's a big body. Uh, on the Iowa Western, uh, you know, official website, he's listed at 6'5", 305, um, you know, okay. two, and a half, two and a half sacks, uh, you know, five tackles for loss in what, in, in five games. He also has a forced fumble. I think that, uh, you know, Joe, I know Joe Salavea last week went up to go watch him too. I don't think that they offered or anything like that, but I do think that, 
you know, that is a veteran kind of Juco name that they're looking at. Um, so I think that, you know, they're definitely exploring their options right now. I think they realize that the top of the board is pretty thin. Uh, Jordan Hall, obviously being the, the prize there. Uh, but there is other guys that they're kind of doing and, you know, they could always kind of lean in on the, the handy dandy, uh, transfer portal if they, if they needed to, they were obviously very successful with that last cycle. And I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of went back to it. If, uh, if the numbers kind of worked out that way. And at edge. You know, Miami's kind of just been keeping guys warm, right? That they yeah. went all in with during the summer uh, yeah. that are committed to other schools. Guys like By Job, who's committed to Michigan State. Collins Punk committed to Michigan. Uh, new name kind of uh, on the board, Gabriel Harris, a four-star guy at IMG Academy who's committed to Georgia. Um, all these guys are four-star guys. All these guys are top 200 type guys. And then of course there's Nicholas Harbor who yeah. freak of nature, uh, track star. That is also ridiculously a defensive end prospect because <laughs> he runs at what a 10 one in the hundred meters. Um, so if you just want to rattle through those names, just maybe what's the main things we need to know there. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the big things with those names is those are like kind of like the other names, right? Like I think people are looking at that edge spot and, you know, obviously they're thinking about Samuel and Pemba of IMG. They're thinking about Damon Wilson out of Venice, uh, Ruben Bain, of course, out of Miami central. And then after that, it's kind of like, okay, what's left. And uh, I think what's left is kind of what's always really been there, right? Like over the summer, uh, you know, by Job was a name that they kind of, you know, they heavily pursued. They got him in for kind of an extended unofficial visit. He ends up committing to Michigan State after dropping, like, I think it was like a top two or top three of Alabama, Oklahoma, and Michigan State. Uh, Miami's still very much, you know, involved in that recruitment. I think that they're still trying to do whatever it is that they can. Michigan State, not off to the start, maybe some thought that they're going to be off to Miami, not off to the start they are, that, you know, they hope to be on either. But, you know, that's definitely a name that, you know, they're very intrigued by. Uh, so I think that they're still kind of working all angles there. Uh, Collins Akeempong. I mean, I think Miami fans are very, very familiar with that name. Listeners to the podcast definitely should be as well. Um, just because there was that sort of dramatic week or two in, uh, I, I guess after that last official visit weekend at the end of June, and it was kind of like, you know, Collins Akeempong was trending heavily to Michigan and then kind of started trending towards Miami. And then he had a commitment date backed off of that kind of took more times to reevaluate ended up with Michigan who he was originally, you know, set to kind of go with. But, uh, you know, I do think that Miami is still, you know, involved in that recruitment as well. I think they're still community communicating with Collins. I mean, he suffered a, I, I believe, I don't want to like definitely say, but I know he suffered a, an injury on his leg. I'm not sure if it's an, an ankle, a calf, a, a, a hamstring, uh, a knee, but he had some sort of uh, injury that has him out for his whole senior, his whole, the rest of his senior year. And I know Miami's been, you know, talking to him and kind of, you know, you know, just kind of in his year that, you know, they still want him. They still kind of want him around. And, uh, you know, again, that's someone that they're really high on Gabriel Harris. Um, I mean, he's a kid that's been, he's from the Georgia area, uh, popped up at, at Bradenton IMG Academy. When we were down at Venice, David, it was kind of like, okay, is he here? Like, I mean, this is just kind of super yeah. random. There was no announcement. Um, he's been committed to Georgia for for a while now, but uh, I think in back-to-back -back weekends, he ended up at Auburn. So it sounds like he's looking around, and I believe that that's someone that 
So I, I know that that's someone that they're communicating with as well and trying to, you know, kind of figure something out there. So those are a couple more names, a couple more pass rushers. Obviously, that's a premium position that, uh, you know, Miami fans kind of want to keep in the back of their head. And with Harbor, do you think he might take an official visit to Miami at some point? I mean, it sounds that way, right? Like, I think Steve Wilfong posted an update on him following that Michigan official visit. And it does sound like, you know, at least dad uh, made it sound like, you know, the, the plan is to get down to Miami at some point. And, uh, you know, really the only, uh, I mean, a part of the only bye week Miami has, uh, you know, they sent Rod Wright up to Washington, D.C., on on Friday morning to kind of, you know, be at Nicholas Harbor school. And yeah, maybe there can't be any face-to-face contact, but I think that, uh, you know, they, you know, it, it's good that Rod Wright, you know, was there, was present at the school. They didn't play that day. I think they played Saturday, but, uh, you know, made that effort and then, you know, hopped on a plane and was back at Tras Powell that night to watch Ruben Bain. So I think it should, I don't think my, I don't think they're, you know, huge on, you know, wasting resources. I don't think that they would have sent coach right up there just to kind of hang out and, uh, you know, do those types of things for a few hours on Friday morning. But, you know, so I do think that I do believe that they feel like they're in the game in that recruitment and it's about getting him on campus and nothing will really happen until then. But uh, I do think that there is some confidence that he does make it down to Coral Gables at some point. I think there was a, a point in the summer where it seemed like he was going to official visit officially visit, yeah. but then he ended up at a track meet. Um, again, right. he wants to be like an Olympic sprinter, regardless of where he plays, you know, football. I think he's, yeah, I think track is, I don't want, I don't know if it's going to be his primary sport, but you know, he's definitely going to run track and he does ask for, he does have aspirations to run in the Olympics. So, uh, you know, I think that's something that Miami could, you know, potentially sell and, uh, you know, training in that South Florida heat is just different, man. So maybe that could be a positive, uh, a positive thing for him. And at corner, there's a new name to know out yeah. from out in California. Yeah, I mean, I think it's super interesting. I think that was probably one of the more interesting visits that uh, or trips that uh, Miami staff made. Uh, you know, during the bye week, Jamal Dye, uh, he flew out west and watched uh, Long Beach Poly uh, cornerback Dalen Austin. He's an LSU commit from, you know, out, way out west. And, uh, you know, again, another one that seems to be kind of looking around. I think he's going to go officially visit Penn State. Uh, from what I understand and what I've gathered, uh, there is reciprocated interest. You know, I don't think that this is a trip that they made just willy nilly. It seems like this is that, you know, they've been kind of talking, they've been communicating and it seems like Austin has been open-minded to the idea of, of Miami. And, uh, you know, I think Jamal died making that trip out West obviously is to evaluate him in person, uh, kind of get eyes on him and, and all that type of stuff to kind of see if everything checks out. But I do think it's kind of a, a tell of some, of some legitimate interest, because again, that's a, that's a that that that's a that's a long trip and right. uh you know not one that you just make uh you know on a whim so i think that that's pretty interesting and again dalen austin's probably a name miami fans are going to want to become familiar with because uh you know it always gets dicey here at the end and especially with the way guys committed you know early in the process right. i think uh you know there's going to be some guys that are going to kind of maybe take a step back and be like okay wait maybe i rush this just with the really what was the rush of the summer which is also which is also kind of unprecedented so uh, a lot of interesting names still on the board committed not committed and uh you know those are definitely a few of them some local guys too miami central guys everyone knows ruben bain uh, i think everyone knows stanquan clark by now too uh who is a louisville commit plays linebacker are is stanquan i guess everyone knows ruben bain priority target on the defensive line yeah uh 
how would you describe Stanquan Clark target wise um, at linebacker? Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's a, I think he's a top target type of guy. Uh, I don't know if I've reflected that on the site, but I probably should right after we we get off this podcast because I think this is definitely someone that Miami is is kind of all in on. And uh, you know, I think we talked about here um, again, like you know, they kind of they had a hard time getting him to campus in the summer. They they weren't really able to size him up, uh, you know, get all the things that they felt like they needed to get. But I think now that they have, and that now that they've popped on the senior tape with Shaven, I, I think we both know has been pretty impressive. He was really yeah. good in that game against IMG. He was really good again uh, last Friday night against uh, North Miami beach. Uh, I mean, I think Stan Quan Clark, you know, again, originally a safety kind of started making his way closer to the line of scrimmage. I think as a junior was still kind of adapting to that feels a lot more comfortable now as a senior. And uh, look, man, I think that this is a big, big, big time linebacker. Um, you know, yeah. he was originally like, you know, highly ranked by us. I wouldn't be super, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up, you know, creeping back up or his ranking just continues to kind of elevate. Cause I do think that, uh, you know, his size to speed, his range, his physicality has definitely been on display. And I think Miami sees that. And uh, definitely wants to add him to this class. You know, I think that they believe he could be, you know, that he is, you know, as good as anyone that they have committed right now. Uh, that includes, uh, you know, some top, you know, top 100 guy, Malik Bryant. That's that includes a top two, four, seven guy in Ra- Raul Guire. I think Stan Quan Clark is is in that category for them, you know, in terms of how they view him talent wise. And, uh, you know, so I think Stan Quan Clark is absolutely a, a top priority target for them on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, him in terms of like local linebackers, him and Bobby Washington would be a fun pair yeah. in this class and, you know, to develop at the college level. So, uh, and then Ruben Bain, just, uh, you know, Miami keeps chopping wood there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I just think he's, I mean, I just think he's, he's, he's just awesome. I mean, Rod Wright was, uh, was there on Friday night, like I mentioned previously, and Ruben Bain was just, just super disruptive. And uh, you kind of saw like the smirk on his face, you know, him kind of clapping it up a little bit whenever he'd make a play. Like, I think they're all in on Ruben Bain. I think they're all in on Ruben Bain being kind of like a strong side defensive end for them. You yeah. know, I kind of, I think like we always wrestled with, yeah, like a Mesador type. Like, I think we always wrestled with, is he an interior guy? Is he an outside guy? I think uh, Ruben Bain has proven that he can kind of play on that edge. And uh, I think Miami's all on board with that. Uh, he told me he was going to get back down to Miami for the Florida State game. Andrew Ivins reported on, on our board. I believe it was, I, I think it might have been uh, on Monday that he will also be back at Miami for the North Carolina game. So he's the guy that you want to have around constantly. Obviously yeah. has a brother on staff who was also at the game on Friday. Um, so Miami's just got to keep chopping wood there and, uh, you know, kind of hold off the Crimson Tide, hold off uh, Auburn and Louisville and maybe Florida State, maybe some others. But, uh, you know, I do think that, you know, my like Ruben Bain is as priority as it gets for Miami at, at, at defensive end. All right. And when we before we get out of here, I want to have a quick little discussion about, you know, a big picture talent acquisition type of discussion with the transfer portal and mainly just kind of what are our thoughts on the main positions that Miami needs to target in the portal if we're projecting to next year. Now there's still a lot to go through here. They got to finish the season. Guys can get better. Guys can get worse. Um, Guys from Miami can enter the transfer portal. Um, But just how, what are the, if let's just say this hypothetically, if I gave you, and I think they will probably use more than five transfer portal spots. 
Oh yeah. But but if I said, Gabby, you only have five transfer portal spots to use for Miami, how would what positions would you allocate those numbers to? And let's just start I, with let's go in order of like biggest need to like, yeah. you know, the last one or whatever, being smallest near or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think right now I I mean, I think at least I mean if we're giving you're giving me two spots. I mean, I mean five spots. Five spots. I mean, I, I, I might still give two to wide receiver. I think that they need yes. to attract some big time talents there. I think that this is a situation where they can. You know, again, I feel like Miami has been an attractive spot for the transfer portal, you know, for if they were to get involved in it earlier, all that stuff. I think that there's going to be an obvious need there. And, uh, you know, I, yeah. I would I would definitely allocate two of those spots to to um to wide linebacker. Receiver. I mean, to wide receiver, I would definitely give a spot to at least one spot to linebacker. I think you got to go get another guy, maybe two. Agreed. Um, I would I'd go, go get one. A, I'd go one. Go one. I'd go yeah. get a corner. I'd go get a cornerback. Same. Um. I think that you need to get a cornerback, and then I think that you one... could argue too. Yeah, I think I think that's a I think that that's fair. I but mean, I would five. It's tight. It's yeah. You know, it I'm, is. I'm making it tight on purpose, but you know, I agree. I think you could go two spots at receiver, two spots at corner. You could go two spots at linebacker. Yeah. Um, and then I think too, you need you still need a defensive end. Like, yeah, I do think Nigel Kelly is going to be ready next year. Um. But you always want depth on the defensive line. And so if we're projecting, like, would you project Jafari Harvey to go pro after this year? Because if he continues to play like he is now, I would project that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, this is his fourth year in the program, right? I mean, yeah. I feel like this is kind of, I mean, I think he's playing, he's well, playing enough well where yeah, 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 and I think he. I mean, you kind of he's he's toolsy, right? I feel like he has some right. traits where, like, you know, one of these NFL teams can kind of fall in love with him. He could probably he, he might test really well, um, and uh, you know, he can definitely get a shot. I wouldn't be super surprised if Jafari Harvey, you know, ended up in in the league after this year. Yeah, I mean, I think a defensive end is a is a, is a fair way to go with it. I think you need Mesador pass rushes. Probably, yeah, Mesador. Pro- yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty likely. Agude um, will have no more eligibility. Yeah, you know. no, you, you definitely got to go get a pass rusher. I think there could be an argument for running back too. Like maybe go get another body at running back, quality body at running back. It just depends um, how they feel yeah. about Citizen, you know, Yeah, how, how his recovery is going. But I'm not against that idea either. I mean, look, honestly, they're probably going to do like 10-ish yeah. again. Right? It's going to, I from, I mean, I'm, I think it's going to be another, yeah, maybe not super hefty. I think what they went 12 this 11 or 12 it depends 11 like, or 12? do you count juco do you count colby i think it was 11 without Colby. yeah no nah, i feel like colby's kind of like a regular recruiting class guy because juco's always the juco route's always been there so yeah. i feel like i could see it you know i, I could, could see, see that yeah i could see double digit transfers again i mean you got to flip this roster over and when it's there and it's available you can't just ignore it like if they're, they're not yeah. going to turn down an op, like an opportunity to grab a guy because they're like oh we don't want to you know we want to build it from the high you know you got to do what you got to do at this point and obviously we got to see how the rest of this year plays out but uh these guys are going to do whatever it is that's necessary to to flip this roster around as quickly as they can i think o line could be interesting too yeah, I mean, I think because, every, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they added O linemen. I mean, positions across the board. I wouldn't be surprised if they go get right. one everywhere. Right. Yeah, there's holes, and there's depth concerns. So you gotta address those concerns. But yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be an interesting few months here. 
in terms of talent acquisition. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Miami can kind of right the ship here this week against North Carolina, which brings us to the transition. After this break, I'm going to be joined by Ross Martin, who works at the 24-7 Sports North Carolina site, Inside Carolina. Those guys dominate that market, do an excellent job of covering uh, all their programs at North Carolina. And uh, Ross and I are going to have a little conversation about what this 2022 North Carolina team is all about. So uh, we will have that conversation here on the other side. All right, we are back with Ross Martin of Inside Carolina. Ross and the guys over there at InsideCarolina.com do a great job of covering all things North Carolina athletics. I would highly recommend everyone go check out their work this week leading up to the game to have a better understanding of Miami's opponent. But uh, to help shed more light onto the 2022 North Carolina Tar Heels going into this week's game. We have Ross joining the show. Ross, appreciate you joining. How, how are things going up there in North Carolina this season so far? Yeah, I mean, it's been great in terms of the weather and everything like that with the team. I don't know which one you're asking about, but the team's been kind of, um, you know, it's been up and down, but they're three and four and one now. Uh, heading into the Miami game, um, but the defense has kind of been the storyline. And, and just like, I think the main theme is, you know, UNC is really talented uh, with a lot of four and five stars now because Mac Brown's recruiting so well. Um, but the production on the field in terms of the defense doesn't really align with the recruiting rankings. But and that and then Drake May. I mean, Drake May has been uh, spectacular for UNC. Redshirt freshman, you know, only five starts now and he's setting records. Uh, and is on path to set a lot more records for what he's done. So it's kind of the tale of two sides of the ball, which yeah. um, it's kind of always been the deal for UNC. Uh, if you look back about her history, the last you know the last ten or so years. Let's let's start with Drake because uh, he's an easy starting point here. Quarterback, highly highly recruited guy, uh, highly ranked guy, um, putting up numbers, looks the part. If you watch him, he passes the eye test. He looks like a NFL first round pick looks like a potential number one overall pick. Um, what has impressed you most about him though, to this point, it's only been five games, uh, but he is definitely flashing big time. What, what's impressed you most about what he's showing so far? Yeah. I mean, where to start, I'll just start from a kind of a general perspective. I mean, how good he is so soon. Like we, I don't think many people expect him to be this good this soon coming off your know, three years of Sam Howell. Um, expectations are pretty high. I don't think many people in the media or even fans thought that a redshirt freshman was going to be, I mean, honestly, better than Sam Howe uh, in just yeah. five games. So how, how good he has been just in his first couple starts. Usually, you know, that first year can be a little rough. You can show the flashes, but he's been consistently good in almost every game. Um, you know, he did struggle a little bit against Notre Dame. But then from a more kind of on-the-field standpoint, he's so accurate. Uh, he has obviously a very high completion percentage, 69.7% right now. He spreads the ball around. So it's not like he's just targeting Josh Downs or, or targeting Antoine Green. He's spreading the ball around to like eight or nine receivers in every game. Um, and just his efficiency, you know, he, he can spread around to all different receivers. He's accurate. And then he makes plays with his feet. Um, I mean, he is – yeah, he's tall. He's you know six five, um, but he can run. He can get first downs. He can break off a, a you know a ten to 15, 20 yard run if he needs to. But he is just as comfortable in the pocket, picking a defense apart. So, 
it's really the, the full package. And it's crazy. You said that he's a, you know, potential first overall pick, but you just look at what he's done and look at his size. I mean, six, five yeah. mobile, accurate, big arm, smart. And he's so young. Uh, you know, he could leave after next year. So, I mean, he could only be at UNC for three total years and two years playing, which is kind of crazy, but um, it's all there, man. And, and you know, he's going to have a couple issues here and there, but one interception um, to 19 passing touchdowns, his 22 total touchdowns is the most by any UNC quarterback or player ever um, in the whole history of the program. So um, it's been spectacular and it, it's, it's going to help UNC win a lot of games. Um, it's just as long as the defense kind of can, can carry their weight a little bit more than they have been. How, how does Drake, and again, it's early, um, but how is he different in operating that offense compared to the way that Sam Howe would run it? Yeah, I mean, I think just physically, Sam was, was six feet, maybe six one. Yeah. I know he's probably listed as six two, but he, he was, you know, he was relatively short, kind of like a Drew Brees type player. So, he didn't see the whole field as well as Drake has. I never thought it was that big of a deal, but then you, you kind of just – you see how Drake can kind of go through his progressions and and kind of just, you know, dissect the defense because he can see everything. Um, he's a legit 6'5". Um, and then I think from a passing standpoint, Sam was a gunslinger. Um, he had a rocket arm. He could hit the deep ball. He hit the deep ball early and often in his UNC career, and it helped to have Diamond – Brown, who was playing for the Redskins, he may be injured right now, but I mean, he had some good deep threats. And Sam's big thing was, man, he could put it on the dime on deep routes. And Vegas showed that a little bit more in the last couple of games once Antoine Green came back. But um, we haven't seen the consistent deep ball. And it's, it's, it's more because he hasn't really thrown it much. Uh, right. So we don't know if he has or not. He's, he's thrown a couple. Um, but I think he just he takes what the defense gives you, whether that's kind of the mid range, you know, crossing patterns to tight ends or in the backfield to, to running backs. Um, but he can kind of he can make every throw. He just hasn't the deep ball is not as big a part of the offense as it was under Sam Howell. Let's talk about the pass catching weapons. I mean, obviously Josh Downs entered this season as a big deal working out of the slot, but watching North Carolina a little bit here, it seems like they have a pretty deep and versatile group. Antoine Green, you mentioned, is is back, and he can be that deep threat potentially. Seems like they got a good group of tight ends too. Uh, what what is your overall impression of the pass catching group right now? Yeah, it's been it's been fantastic. I mean, it's important to note that Josh Downs missed uh, two games. Yeah, three games, two games. Yeah, and Antoine Green's first game back was against um, Notre Dame, so they've been without their two best catchers, pass catchers for, for multiple games this season. So they get everyone back, everyone's healthy. Um, so Josh Downs, obviously, I mean, he'll be a, I think a, a second or third round pick. You know, he could maybe squeak into the first round. Um, he's just a little undersized, but he is super athletic. Um, you know, he a, a stat line for him is seven, eight, nine catches, hundred yards, and he set. Uh, records for catches and yards last season, school records. So he's fantastic, uh, deep threat, cross the middle, anything. He, he's a versatile kind of uh, weapon for UNC. Antoine Green's a deep threat. And they have some some nice pieces behind them. J.J. Jones, Kobe yeah. Haysauer really stepped up behind Josh Downs. I mean, they have, it, it is deep. Um, I think they can go four or five players deep. And then tight ends, like you mentioned, um, that's been the, the, the real big surprise. Uh, it's been awesome. Um, Starts to Kamari Morales, who, who seems to find the end zone almost every game. 
you know, nothing special about him physically, but he's just a solid tight end. who has been in the program for three or four years now. Bryson Nesbitt, definitely a player to, to look for. 6'6", 230, kind of in the NFL mold of that um, tight end who can break out on the outside. And, and he's been a big weapon for UNC. And John Copenhaven is kind of the third guy there. He's, he's playing a lot too. So the tight ends has been a, a really unique um, new uh, situation for for offensive coordinator Phil Longo and Drake May tends to like them a lot. So, I mean, those is, that's the strength of the team. It's the quarterback um, and it's the wide receivers. How did this? How does this group of wide receivers? Because from a Miami perspective, uh, we've seen guys in recent years. You mentioned Deami Brown. He had big games against Miami. Daz Newsom had some big games mm-hmm. against Miami. Um, how do you think this group compares to that group? Is that group more top heavy? How would you just? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I would. I mean, it was it was pretty much Diary Brown and, and, and Daz Newsom um, for two or three years there. Um, la- last year, it was really just Josh Downs and Antoine Green. So this year, they have a lot more weapons. And the tight end has never been a big part of the offense. I'm not sure if that's because of the type of offense or because the talent wasn't there. And they, I think Bryson Nesbitt really has changed that. Um, they don't have, I mean, Donnie Brown was pretty special. I mean, he could just burn defenses, take on double teams and burn both of them to the end zone. I'm not sure they have a player like that on this roster, but Antoine Green's pretty solid, um, as a deep threat. And then Josh Downs is better than Daz Newsome, but they both kind of play the same kind of position, but Josh Downs is, is definitely a special player. Running backs, uh, you know, from my perspective, it seems like they're still maybe trying to figure out what they have there, get their given opportunities to a young guy uh, in Hampton and then another guy mm-hmm. in hood. What is your impression of that position? Because that's been from, again, from a Miami perspective, North Carolina has been very tough to defend because they got the weapons in the passing game. And then, you know, what 2020 those running backs yeah. went off against Miami. Yeah. So what is their running game like this year so far? Yeah, I, I would imagine Miami fans are, are kind of uh, <laughs> scarred by that 2020. That was unbelievable with Michael yes. Carter and Javante Williams. Um, <laughs> uh, it's not – it hasn't been anything special so far. And we thought it was going to be a strength because Amar and Hampton and George Petaway were big-time recruits, you know, both top – I think top 100 guys in 24-7 sports composite. Um, and they haven't really figured out who the guy is going to be. Caleb Hood started uh, last week against Virginia Tech. He was okay. Amar Hampton's kind of been the goal line guy. He's been okay. Um, George Pedway, I think, has been relegated to kind of the fourth um, running back. DJ Jones is the third down back. So they don't really have an identity running the ball. Um, they've had trouble kind of just getting, you know, positive yards or more than two or three yards on first and second down. It's kind of been a talking point this week for Mac Brown and Phil Longo. Certainly an area of improvement. I think it's a little bit because of the youth there with Caleb Hood, Hampton, and Pedway, who are freshman or redshirt freshman hood might be a sophomore but um and then um i think the o-line is still fine-tuning some things in terms of the, the run blocking they've been really improved uh in pass protection which is much needed coming off some record-breaking sack numbers the last three years for sam Howell. um but under new offensive line coach jack mcnell they've been better in pass protection but the run blocking and kind of just opening up holes in zone blocking schemes hasn't been there and if that was one weakness of the offense, it, w- it would be the run game and the ability to kind of just get that, you know, that four, five, six yards consistently. They, they broke off some big runs, but the consistency um, has not been there. And, and they're still trying to figure out who it is. So in, uh, down in Miami, 
on our Miami Gardens on Saturday. Who knows? It could be a heavy dose of Hood in Hampton, um, but you might see DJ Jones in there as well. So it's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen. But Hood and uh, Hampton are pretty similar in what they can do, kind of big physical bruising backs. How about Drake May from a running standpoint? Because I think he might be second on the team in rushing. Yep. Are those Would you describe that production as mainly from scrambles or, or are there some design runs worked in there? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, certainly there are some design, design runs just like Longo like to do with Sam Howell, um, utilize his effectiveness on some reads. Um, but some of that's definitely some scrambles because when it breaks down on third down, even fourth down, I mean, he can go out and get it. Um, he, I mean, he's risked his body going through the air to get some some first downs. Um, so it's a mix of that. They don't want to run run them as much as they have, um, especially kind of on broken down plays. But he's athletic enough to to crush the defense on like you know third and seven, third and eight. Go out and get it. We've seen him do that repeatedly this this season so far. So uh, he he's a weapon, and they'll have you know three or four design runs for him. Scored two touchdowns against Virginia Tech on the ground. So it just adds the effectiveness of what Phil Longo likes to do on offense. Defensively, uh, Mac Brown changed it up at defensive coordinator in the offseason. Jay Bateman out, Gene Chizik in. What's been the biggest change with with Coach Chizik, just from his approach or, or what he wants to accomplish compared to what Jay Bateman wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, so Gene Chizik's whole thing. I remember this is his second time at Carolina. He was there in 15 and 16 um, under Marquise William at quarterback. It was like Marquise Williams' era and then Mitch Trubisky. I'm sure some fans know because of his uh, experience in the NFL. But Gene Chizik's big thing is, is bend, don't break, pretty conservative, try to get pressure with four, you know, kind of play off a little bit at cornerback, um, keep everything in front of you, not allow you know anybody behind you or any big explosive plays. And, um, you know, entering the season, we thought it was a much improved unit. It's been worse. Uh, it's been worse on, under Gene Chizik than it has been uh, under Jay Bateman. What, what's crazy is that the defense is more experienced. So they have talent almost at, at every level. Um, every player is a year older. They didn't really lose anybody. But it's it's been uh, worse, and it's been against teams like Appalachian State, uh, Georgia State they struggled with at times, you know, Florida A&M was able to, to move the ball and, and run and, and, and pass on UNC. And then obviously you saw what Notre Dame did on the ground and through the air against UNC. I mean, the UNC was hopeless on defense against them. And that was a you know, that was a huge deal last week, just trying to figure out what the deal was on defense because it was, it was a demolishing effort um, by the Irish against the Tar Heels. So they were a lot better against Virginia Tech. I think Virginia Tech's really bad. On offense, I'm not, in my opinion, I'm not, the jury's still out on what this defense can be. You know, you can take what they did against uh, the Hokies and obviously use that as a confidence builder, uh, kind of show tape of, of what works. It's effective, you know, um, you know, when you do your job, things work out. But I just think Virginia Tech is going to finish one of the worst teams in ACC on offense. And so I think we'll know more about the direction of this defense under Gene Chizik after Miami after Duke and kind of get a little bit bigger sample size against some better teams. But honestly, man, I think the whole coastal is pretty bad. Uh, UNC, I'm not sure how good UNC really is. I think they have the best quarterback, but um, so who knows, you know, it might be the best quarterback wins, Uh, but it's been very disappointing for the defense. And the hope is that the talent kind of figures it out, um, gets better and better each game, kind of sees the mistakes and sees what works and improves over time because they have, 
they've been having some injuries here and there, but they have like you know, five star, four star, you know, all over that that roster uh, on the defense side of the ball. So it's just been surprising, just the mistakes they've made and the mental errors and just not being in position and getting burned at cornerback and not getting any uh, pressure on the passer has also been a concern as well. So we'll see what happens against Miami because it was it was definitely improved against the Hokies, which was at least reassuring for the fan base. Defense, it, there's there can be a lot of different things going on in terms of like why things don't work on defense. But if you were going to identify one thing is like this is like the big area that needs to get better for them to really improve on defense. What would you highlight? I mean, this is kind of coach speak because what they tell us, you know, it's that one of eleven thing. Everybody doing their job. You know, one player, two players not being in the right position in terms of gaps or, you know, filling in the holes or where safeties are, and that's allowing the leaks. Um, uh, that would be the main thing, but that, and then kind of off of that, I think the cornerbacks have been pretty bad uh, in terms of just letting guys run free across the middle and the, the defensive secondary not communicating in their zone coverages. And I just think the the pressure on the passer, the lack of pressure on the passer has also been an issue as well. So those three things, I mean, that's what you need, right? You got to – well. And, Stopping the run's been horrible too. So to where it started, I mean, stopping the run has been the big thing. But then um, they all kind of build into each other. So you know, stopping the run, which goes down to be doing the one of eleven, and then kind of the quarterbacks and safeties making plays and being in position and, and keeping everything in front of them and not allowing these easy passes across the middle. You know, you mentioned there are highly ranked guys from recruiting days on defense. And you watch UNC, there, there is guys that flash talent on that side of the ball. Who would you highlight as, like, the best player on defense for North Carolina that Miami fans should know about? Yeah, I think the, the most impressive guy so far this season has been uh, Cedric Gray at linebacker. He wasn't a, a very highly talented guy. Um, I think he had a couple Division One offers, uh, or at least Power 5 offers. But, you know, he's had two interceptions. He leads the team in tackles. He may lead the ACC in tackles athletic guy in the middle um you know, he's kind of the leader of the defense and he's played pretty solid um and on the defensive line i think noah taylor who is a virginia transfer has been pretty good and pretty consistent across all games excuse me and um you know, he's probably their best pass rusher so i'd point to those two guys i, I would hope you know you kind of hope that it would be miles murphy or Javari Ritzy or, or Desmond Evans, who are like the, the high four-star guys, but they just haven't been very productive this year. I think a couple of those guys are dealing with a couple injuries that's that's held them back a little bit in, in games. So as you know, Miami's offense has really struggled to get going this season so far. And so, you know, from a Miami perspective, there is a feeling of how are they going to get it going? Even though North Carolina's defense hasn't been consistent to this point, I'm curious, like, you know, you watch these guys every week if you were coordinating an offense, doesn't necessarily have to be Miami's offense, Miami's personnel, but if you were coordinating an offense, how would you attack this UNC defense right now? Yeah, I would, I would run the ball. I would run the ball and make them, make them stop uh, Miami. Like put your, your jumper personnel in, put 12, 13 personnel in and, and make the UNC defensive line linebackers be physical and tackle them. I'm not sure what Miami has at running back or offensive line, but that is the clear weakness of this team. Uh, you look at the Notre Dame game and just use it as a blueprint. You know, run through the different uh, zone and, and, and power running schemes and get those holes open and run your running backs until 
it's proven that UNC can, can stop the run. I think that's the biggest weakness of this team. Um, and, and something I want to see if they've improved on uh, coming out of Notre Dame, out of Virginia Tech. And I did hold Virginia Tech to 99 yards. Yeah. So that's important to note. So I think there at least are some steps to be made there. But I, I you know, it is like if you can't stop the run, you know, you can't right. you can't win games. And so I would advise opposing teams to, to make UNC stop the run. Two more things and we'll get you out of here. Uh, you know, we don't have to go too in-depth on it, but just looking at the stats, it seems like UNC specialists, special teams are pretty good. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think the kicking game's been solid. They have a pretty experienced punter. Um, they had their kickoff specialist leave, and, and, like, I guess he tends to enter the transfer portal. So they're, um, they had a guy doing kickoffs and a guy doing place kicks. So the place kicker's now doing both. Um, didn't seem like an issue against uh, the Hokies. And then, um, you know, Josh Downs usually has been the right. guy returning punts. They've gone with Cam Kelly, who's a safety back there a little bit as well, especially as Downs came back from injury. Um, but they've been, they've been pretty good. No explosive plays to note. Um, I just think – I don't know what you think, but it seems like with the new rules that explosive plays on kickoffs and punts just don't happen much anymore. I don't know why. I just – I don't – I don't, I don't tend to see any punt returns or kickoff returns of any substance. I know because the kickoffs mostly go in the end zone. So nothing of note there um, other than having great success on the um, onside kick against uh, against Appalachian State, which you know they ran back for a touchdown when they should have kneeled it, but that was pretty well executed in terms of just getting the ball and, and, and taking it the distance. Last thing, um, when the betting line came out, it came out – as Miami, the betting line I saw four and a half point favorite, and last okay. I looked, last I looked today, Miami's still a four point favorite. So, I'm just curious. Like to me, that that line stinks, and I don't know. Like obviously, you know, you know how this is. You cover a team, you get in the weeds, you see all the deficiencies. Sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees. So I'm just curious. Like, how do you? What do you make of that line? Does that line surprise yeah. you? Miami being a favorite coming off a brutal loss to Middle Tennessee State, which neither side of the ball looked very good. North Carolina right now, I would I think is much more confident going into this game. Uh, I'm curious how you digest that line. Yeah, I mean, I would I would point to the bye week maybe as a factor there, and the fact that you know psychology of a team like having two weeks to prepare and. Clearly, the Middle Tennessee loss being a, a massive wake up call for everyone in that in that building. The coaches getting on their players, and you know, a point of pride at some point. Like you have two straight losses and a horrible loss to to the Blue Raiders. So I think two weeks to get healthy, um, two weeks to prepare for UNC, and then um, you would think they'd come out a little bit more prepared. You know, I think eight, dealing with 18, 19, 20 year olds. You need some of those wake-up calls throughout the season to, to get a team ready. I, I'm not – from what we see, like, there's not much home field advantage playing down no. there. Like, the crowds are pretty bad, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's just how it is at Miami. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not sure. Like, I don't think that's much of a factor. Um, right. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I see Drake May, and I see an offense that can score. And, you know, and that can right. – that, that's obviously the most important position at quarterback. And so that, I think that gives UNC a huge advantage, but I guess they, the, the odds makers in Vegas see something a little bit different. I would have put it more to, as a pick maybe. 
Right. I mean, the line is begging you to bet North Carolina. Mm -hmm. It's just strange. You know, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. So well, well we all, we always say about Miami is and they have athletes. They have players. Sure. Like they always recruit pretty well. It's just a different type of athlete down there. Um, and so if it can click, if you can get those guys playing in the right places and executing, like their athleticism on defense can overwhelm UNC's offensive line. You know, so I, I don't know the personnel, obviously, uh, down there as well as you do, but um you would think that, you know, over time with some good coaching they can get better and better and better. So that's always kind of the instilled fear, I think, with Miami, even though, you know, no offense, but even, you know, since they've been in the ACC, they haven't done anything. Joker. Yep. Yeah, anything, anything very special. I think the ACC was hoping they'd be that, you know, top 10 team every season and <laughs> competing with, you know, with Florida State and Clemson for ACC titles. It just hasn't happened. You're right. It's going to be an interesting game from Miami perspective. Because I think the feeling is, and you know, look, I do think there is reason for confidence that North Carolina's defense might be trending mm -hmm. better. I mean, it can't really trend worse, honestly, from where it was. But there were some positive signs against Virginia Tech. But I do think from a Miami perspective, if they can't get their offense going this week, it's there's yeah. going to be a bit of a hopeless feeling. Yeah, so what's the deal with the quarterback? I mean, I read your, read your Monday update about how he's, he's still a quarterback, Van Dyke, but what's the situation there? Was it just a benching? Why was he benched, and what was that benching kind of about? So he came out against Middle Tennessee State. His first two passing attempts were intercepted, which set up Miami being down 10-0 from the jump. And it just wasn't working in that game. The offense wasn't clicking, honestly. The offense hasn't really been clicking against FBS opponents the whole year. Um, and, you know, you could just see he, he was leaking confidence as that game progressed. The fan base was booing him. And, you know, Miami does have a talented backup in Jake Garcia. He came in, provided a spark. Um, of course, wasn't enough to win the game. But I think the thinking is, okay, we will see if Tyler can play his way out of it. I think inside the building, they feel like he's still the more talented option. Mm -hmm. What I am curious is if we see a quick hook, like, I don't know. I mean, I think things would have to spiral quickly again. And if we're going to see Jake Garcia in the first half, but if it's a close game, I think Tyler plays the whole game and they, and they let him try and figure it out. I do think Tyler's, a really good player. He's learning a new offense, which is a totally different offense from what he excelled in last year. Um, and his receiving core is not as good as it was last year. So, you know, he's not playing well, but there's also other factors involved. But at the, you know, bottom line is Jake Garcia did come in and move the ball better than Tyler did in that last game. So, you know, the pressure is, okay. is there for Tyler to perform. Yeah, and maybe that's a good thing, you know, kind of yeah. see that there is some pressure, but, you know, one more pull, and you know, that can really shake your confidence. Probably it, yeah. All right, appreciate you, Ross, for joining us here on Through the Smoke. Uh, again, check out Ross's work on Twitter this week. Uh, what's your What's your Twitter? <clears throat> yeah, it's Ross, Ross Martin underscore IC. Uh, yeah, head over to Inside Carolina. Uh, the message boards are always popping. And we'll have content. A lot of stuff came out Monday. 
um, from the press conferences, and we'll have you know a couple things throughout the week uh, as we get into kind of transition off of Virginia Tech and the Miami stuff. So um, there's a lot of stuff on there. And if you really want to get in the weeds, check out our podcast feed uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Carolina Podcasts, we're, we're producing you know a, a six podcasts a week to get you set um, for you know Virginia Tech recaps and then heading into Miami previews. Then we'll have Miami game recaps as well. Great stuff. Thanks, Ross, for your time. And uh, until next time, everyone, take care.